In the book Teaching Music with Passion by Peter Boonshaft, one of the chapters is titled Put Yourself in a Straitjacket and Dance a Free Dance. Boonshaft tells us, Years ago, I had the incredible pleasure of writing composer Václav Nelibel's biography. We worked for several years together on that project. Nelibel wrote his doctoral dissertation on the renowned composer Igor Stravinsky. In describing his dissertation, Nelibel recalled many wonderful stories. My favorite was his recollection of going to see the world premiere of the Rake's Progress in Italy with Stravinsky himself. After the performance, they sat at an outdoor cafe and talked. Stravinsky told Nellie Bell that the goal of a composer was to put yourself in a straitjacket and dance a free dance. As Václav said those words, I was filled with a remarkable sense of awe. Obviously, Stravinsky meant that the parameters and limitations of a certain commission or the self-imposed confines of form, style, or technique of the process forced the composer to put him or herself in the constraint of being in a straitjacket. While in that state, though, the composer would need to shape something that was free, creative, and seemingly boundless. It's an amusing image, and maybe that's why Nellie Bell remembered his time in the cafe with Stravinsky. But if we look closer, and if we consider what we're soon to learn about Nellie Bell, then we'll recognize that the straitjacket and the free dance are polar opposites, in a sense. And out of the struggle between those extremes, the composer comes to create music that is the result of that very tension. Interestingly, Igor Stravinsky created a ballet titled Agon, and Václav Nelibel wrote a work for band with that same title. In closely looking at Nelibel and his compositions, Peter Michalidis writes that we find his background is impressive. He studied composition at the Prague Conservatory and musicology at both Prague and Freiburg universities. In addition to being a prolific composer, he served as conductor of Radio Prague and the City Theater in Prague from 1940 to 1946 and from 1945 to 46 as assistant conductor of the Czech Philharmonic he held posts as music director and conductor for both Radio Geneva and Radio Free Europe. As a guest conductor, he appeared with many of the leading orchestras in Europe, including L'Orchestre de la Suisse Romande, the Mozarteum Orchestra, and the Vienna Symphony. In 1957, Nellie Bell immigrated to the United States, where he established residency in New York and subsequently acquired American citizenship. Nellie Bell has said creation is like a split-second thought, a compulsion to fill a space of time. And from this admittedly emotional catalytic experience, an organic growth and ultimate materialization of a basic thematic shape occurs. The finished work often consists entirely of a carefully structured presentation of the evolution and transformation of the motive. Notes are brought into conflict 
out of which the next note of the motive emerges. We stop at the phrase, notes are brought into conflict out of which the next note emerges, and we can recognize perhaps just how much energy is generated and released when in general two opposing forces struggle and do or don't reach some resolution. And maybe that's why, in part, the music of Václav Nelibel is so compelling, so exciting. We'll soon hear how one particular work by Nelibel changed Cheryl Boga's life and actually led to a commissioning series that has generated even more music. Over 100 new works for concert band and for chorus. And how fitting that the very first work in the world premiere composition series at the University of Scranton had the title Agon and was written by Václav Nelibel. And how remarkable that without any conscious intent, the works composed by Philip Keane to mark the 40th anniversary of the series this year echo in some way those basic considerations of struggle and resolution. Cheryl Boga is conductor and director of performance music at the University of Scranton, and she's founder of the composition series. And Philip Keane is conductor and co-director of performance music. He is a jazz bassist and a composer who has been invited to create two new works to celebrate the anniversary of the series this year. Cheryl and Phil paid a visit to the WVIA studios to talk with us about the newly commissioned works that will be premiered tomorrow evening at the University of Scranton. My favorite composer from when I did my first regional or all-state festival was Václav Nelibel. And I just, I wanted to meet Nellie Bell. I was in a position to meet Nellie Bell. By this point, I, as a clarinetist, I had performed, you know, premieres of works. But all I wanted was I needed to meet the man that wrote Corsican Litany. It was the piece that hit me like a wall. When I played Corsican Litany was the day that I knew that there was nothing else I could do for my lifetime that would make me happy than making music. And it's interesting because my friend Jeff Kernow, who is now associate principal trumpet of the Philadelphia Orchestra, and Allstate playing Nellie Bell's music for orchestra was what hit him like a wall, like, yeah, music, there's nothing else I could do and be happy. So first I went to Bob Sylvester, who was our vice president for development at the time, and I, I wept a little when I didn't think he was saying yes fast enough. And, and we talked about it, but he, he didn't need much convincing. So he said, well, let's do it, but we will find some money. And then I had a set of twins in the band. Now we have multiple sets of twins. But at the time, we had a set of twins that were both in the band. So the Lanahans, Kevin and John, who later went on to be actually presidents uh, separately of our National Alumni Society. But the Lanahans were like movers and shaker kids. They were like the kind of kids that if they heard something, they were like the fixers. And uh, they were like, let me talk to my dad. Let me talk to my dad. And he just said, we'll do it. We'll do it. Set up a dinner. We'll, we'll bring some uh, clients in. We'll entertain them. They'll get to hear a world premiere. And the world premiere series, well, it would have been somewhere in there. And I forget the order. Oh, I think before I even went to Bob, 
I decided I'm going to talk to Nellie Bell about how to commission a piece from him. Do we have to go through management or does he have an intermediary? And I knew from the National Catholic Bandmasters Association Board of Directors, and they just had the town they lived in, and it said Newtown, Connecticut. Okay, so here's what I can do. I just assumed the number. Dorothea's going to laugh so hard when she hears this. I assumed the number was unlisted. So I called the operator. That number is listed. Whoa, the number is listed. And of course, as I got to know him, I understood that indeed the number is listed. So I called him up. And uh, I started to talk like a mile a minute. I said, we really wanted to, and Nelly, and he was, oh, oh, you're right. Write to me. This is, no, you're right. Somehow you must write me a letter. I love the letters. You must write to me. And he gave me the address. So he said, you come. So when he got the letter, he called up and he said, you, and he always hated the phone. I mean, from the, the first time I went up, we met actually at, kind of a halfway point at West Point when Gene Allen was doing the bands there because um, he used to sometimes, if he had a piece and he just wanted to have a recording of it to hear it, he would go with his big reel-to-reel recording stuff and Gene Allen had run the band through it. And first time we met at a coffee shop, second time at a conference room to go through the score. And it was I said, what, do you, what does it cost? He's like, whatever you want to pay me, I want to write this for you. And he came in a few weeks later. My father hit it off like they were twins separated at birth. And then when he found out the Perotti factory was here, <laughs> that was like, oh, my God. So, yeah. So long term, he ended up moving here and being our composer in residence. And Dorothea is the curator of our Nellie Bell collection. And, you know, their daughter, Jana, is here now. And she's running a wonderful new program for the Scranton Area Foundation. So, yeah, it's been a, it's been quite a relationship. So that was our very first commission. And it started out just band. And then the choir started yammering. So then he did. So the band piece was a gone. And then the choir piece was My Salvation for four-part choir and clarinet ensemble. And at the end of that, I thought that was it. But it was the most wonderful three days. And the Jesuit Magazine Company did a six-page spread because, of course, he had been educated by the Jesuits in the gymnasium in it was Czechoslovakia then. And it was a wonderful thing. And there was a wonderful pre-concert dinner. And, and he looked at me. We were standing with my father and Dave Wenzel. And I have the picture on my desk because I found it. And I want to show Phil of us standing with my father and Dave Wenzel when Vaslav turned to me and my father said, wow, that was something. Too bad it's over. And Vaslav said, oh, it will not be over. Shed it. We will do this again. Every year you will make a series. And from then on, it was like crazy. So the next year we were Robert Capolo's first commission. Then we had Jonathan Tunick here. And it just went and went and went. We were Josh Rosenblum's first commission. We were Robert Starr's first band work. And, and it kind of became striking a very careful balance from year to year between people who already were very well known as a composer, but maybe it was a band composer and we want them to write a band and a chorus piece, or maybe they're a chorus composer, or maybe they're an orchestral composer. So to try to get people to write, you know, Jesuit education is all about making everybody uncomfortable. You're not learning unless we're pulling you out of your comfort zone. And uh, with the composers, trying to bring them in to introduce them to the, you know, a lot of times orchestra people don't know how exciting it can be to score for a band. But then in between, 
we take somebody with a big baseball bat, a big heavy hitter, and drop them in to keep the series something that is desirable to be a part of. So here we are, 40th anniversary. I knew it had to be a heavy hitter. And we just so happen to have one in the building who has written with Quincy Jones and for John Batiste and all sorts of stuff. Well, it would be really stupid to waste this. So uh, we've commissioned more than 100 work at this point. Some have never seen the light of day twice. Some are being played all over the world. And I saw two of them, only one of which was in Ellie Bell, in a school in Japan while I was there. They're, they're being played all and sung all over the world. So it's kind of fun. And they all say commissioned for by the University of Scranton, which is nice. And this is Phil Keen. Phil, when did you think you could just be more than a player? Were you always a player and an arranger and a composer when you were little? Was it all at the same time? Well, firstly, it's an honor for me to be involved in this series, especially the 40th one. It's kind of a big number. But I've been involved in music since I was little, and probably the first time I took an interest in writing music was probably around the age of 13. Uh, I started just writing taking a melody and then writing a counter melody. My, my dad would show me how to do it, and I started just doing some arrangements for my church worship team, and gradually that started to grow into bigger and bigger and more complex things, and I started to transcribe multiple part harmonies. One of my favorite vocal groups is Take Six, and I would sit down and try to figure out a lot of that stuff, and that helped me to understand a lot about harmony and chords and voicings, and it just kind of took off from there. I could never really get enough of it, and I was grateful and fortunate to, to have people around me that were willing to give me opportunities to practice doing these things. And it's just been, it's one of my passions, writing writing and arranging. And so this is, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that I'm equally passionate, if not maybe a little more than playing, but definitely right up there with playing. Cheryl just mentioned your collaborative work with Quincy Jones and mm-hmm. Jonathan Batista. How did you get into that circle? Because that's pretty... Lofty indeed. (laughs) Well, almost every day I'm reinforced in my mind the importance of personal relationships. And Jonathan Batiste is somebody that we were both in the same year of of school together. We met as seniors in high school for a auditioned jazz band that was put together by the Grammy Foundation. And then we ended up going to Juilliard together. We roomed together for several years. I started playing with him. Well, he, he, I'll say, he called me for gigs from pretty much within the first few months that we moved to New York. And uh, I've just been involved with a lot of his things. He keeps inviting me to work with him. And he knew that I liked to write. And I think one of the, well, I had done I had done some arrangements for him for different gigs and things. But the first time to record one of my writings with him uh, was actually some arrangements that I did for his Christmas album in 2016, first for strings and for choir. And um, I've had various other opportunities to write for a lot of different configurations. But with, with John, that's kind of how things, things went. And uh, I've continued to maintain a good relationship with him to this day. And uh, regarding Quincy Jones, I was introduced to him through my friend Justin Coughlin, who is an artist that's managed by Quincy's organization. And there was a group in Germany that was working that wanted to have an arrangement of Beethoven's Ode to Joy for their 250th anniversary. And Quincy's organization invited me in to be a part of, to be a part of creating that arrangement. And what was the scoring? Uh, 47 individual parts. 
Yeah, it was basically like a a full big band plus a full orchestra plus a full choir and five solo vocalists. It was several months of of just pretty continuous nonstop working and revising and is there a recording some... there's not a recording available at the moment i'm hoping that at some point they'll put it out cheryl we know that you love the fact that nelly bell could write for any combination of crazy anything. anything i always say if you're looking for a piece for like bass saxophone finger cymbals and crotize uh with a piccolo solo in the middle check the nelly bell site <laughs> <laughs> so phil the idea of writing for concert band and the combination and the choir and this that part is not foreign to you right i i feel like i'm probably a little more comfortable with choir than with concert band I haven't written as much for concert band. I've done more things that had in, that involved choir, but there's still a challenge, you know, for for both instrumentations and I feel like concert band is one of those things that every time I hear a good concert band, I always I think, wow, I, I should listen to more concert band repertoire. There's a lot of really good stuff there that is not I feel like orchestra gets a lot more of the fame and the attention. But every time I hear concert band, I just am reminded of how great the repertoire is. And so it's a it's a unique challenge. I like to rely a lot on, if I'm writing for orchestra or something, I like to rely a lot on like the lush textures of the strings to carry the piece a little bit. But then when you're working with strictly winds, wind instruments with the concert band, you, you have to be careful to, to to do that wisely so that you're not causing the players to have difficulty with the with the breaths and, and you know too long passages I made some some mistakes early on that I had an, uh, an arrangement of something that I had written for something when I was in school and I had written the the trumpet section just way too too long without stopping and way too high and the players were amazing that were playing it and so they could do it but then I just realized later after talking with them and nobody really complained but I could just sense that and after listening to it i just thought wow that's a lot <laughs> did you say this is the 40th year the theme could be or you were given carte blanche to say this is what inspires me having known the university we never ever we say we want a choral piece here are the the parameters in terms of what they can do you know, like a S-S-A-A-T-T-B-B is the max of the splits and you know, A part max. And you could do it with or without accompaniment. And, you know, we give that kind of guidelines, but never, ever a theme or a content. Only, you know, if we're inaugurating a president, then we might, we'll work with the composer on texts. But basically, we just, we don't pay enough to make, beggars can't be <laughs> demanders, you know. Bill, then what inspired you in this work then? So both pieces have a similar theme, uh, and that theme would be standing firm in the, in the middle of adversity. The concert band piece is entitled The Tree and the Wind, and it's about, if, if you can picture just a really big tree, like a big redwood tree, or just any really solid big tree in the middle of just crazy wind. When I lived in, in Utah, I feel like I experienced a lot more strong wind than I had had experience to it uh, more often. It just felt like every time it would be windy, it was extremely windy. And so just the, the imagery of a really strong tree just kind of standing there and the leaves are going, blowing everywhere, but the tree itself is just standing firm. 
and um, that's kind of the, there's a lot of imagery in the in the music with the musicians blowing air through the instrument without any pitch, and there's a, there's kind of a theme that keeps going throughout the band, and it keeps getting changed and and reharmonized as it goes, and that's supposed to kind of symbolize. Just, you know, like if, if you picture the tree and like the leaves are falling off of it, like it's it's changing and maybe a branch will fall off here or there. And so it might look slightly different, but like the essence of it is still there. And I feel like throughout life, we experience different things and we're shaped in certain ways. And we might think differently a little bit or be changed in some way, but we're still the same person. And so that's the concert band piece. The choir piece is based on the 77th Psalm. And the, the message of the psalm is about prayer and not hearing an answer to the prayer and being steadfast and just going along the path without hearing an answer. And kind of about the mystery of God and the mystery of life and kind of just being in awe of something bigger than you, even though you're going through something difficult and continuing to just maintain course. So that's what it is. So there is a reflection different musically, but... Well, you could also look at it as almost coming full circle, because a gone is basically conflict resolution. That's the concept of a gone was resolution through conflict. You know, the, the working title of that piece before it was like, uh-oh, a gone, was like a patastas, which is the service at the funeral home for Eastern Rite Catholics and Orthodox and Eastern Christians that basically celebrates the triumph of life over death, good over evil, you know, all of that. And that Agone came, it was like the struggle to get to that, the conflict you had to go through to get that resolution into good. And uh, so, so in that way... 40 years later, we're bringing that circle around a little bit. You think? I think so. Or am yeah. I reaching here? <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. The The pieces that I wrote, I feel like are very much about the conflict and, and resolution. And with the choir piece, I feel like there's a lot of themes of hope within the, within the piece, also some despair. And then it kind of ends on a note of just not necessarily like a note of tension, but not necessarily, it's kind of a little bit ambiguous the way that it ends, but it's, it doesn't leave you feeling like, okay, where's it going to go now? It's, it's just like, it's settled, but it's not necessarily like a strong resolution. It's just, okay, I'm going to keep going, going to keep going from here. The concert band piece, I feel like has a little bit more of a resolution to it. It's like the end of the storm. Mm -hmm. There's an end to the storm yep. in the concert band mm -hmm. piece. Will the choir be accompanied? Yes, with piano. Ron Stabinski. It's interesting to me because the kids don't always, they always end up loving the pieces, but they don't always love them from the beginning. They love the experience. They don't always love the pieces. This choir piece, I have never, these kids, there's a, a solo in it, and usually a couple of kids will audition for the solo. This was like, I was like, oh my God, when are we going to learn the piece? We're going to sit here listening to everybody audition for the solo, right? <laughs> what about the conducting? That's part of the commission. But he knows you, the kids because, you know, we've been working together all year, and that's, he, he knew going into this. You know, it's like writing for your own band in a certain way. You mm -hmm. you know the suspects, they're out there. And yeah. So you can write given their strengths and exactly. right. That's that's actually one of my favorite aspects of writing is is knowing who I'm writing for, 
if I'm just writing kind of generically for anybody, it's not as it's not as personal. I like to know who I'm writing for, what their strengths and weaknesses are. I want to write something that's going to sound good with them. And it also gives me like a, a project of kind of setting them up for success and writing something to them almost that they can that they can do. That's a nice way of putting it. It's mm-hmm. a very nice way of putting it. Phil, you've talked about your personal connections. Are there groups you'd love to see eventually have access to these pieces? Definitely. I don't have any specific groups in, in general that I'm thinking of, but I would love to have other groups play these pieces. Yeah. You know, it, even if it was school groups, high school or, or other college groups or professional, I would love to see these works performed more. Philip Keane, conductor and co-director of performance music at the University of Scranton, and Cheryl Boga, conductor and director of performance music at the University of Scranton and founder of the world premiere composition series, marking its 40th anniversary this year. And Phil Keane has been invited to create new works, two, one for concert band and one for choir. The Tree and the Wind for Concert Band and Steps Unseen for Choir. The concert will take place in the Houlihan McLean Center, Mulberry Street and Jefferson Avenue. Admission is free and it is Saturday, May 6th at 7.30 p.m. We're hearing music of Václav Nelibel and it was music of Nelibel that actually was the originating music for this series that is being now celebrated for decades later. Again, performance music at the University of Scranton will celebrate the work of composer-conductor Philip Keane at the 40th annual World Premier Composition Series concert, Saturday, May 6th at 7.30 p.m. in the Houlihan McLean Center, Mulberry Street and Jefferson Avenue in Scranton. Admission is free. For more information on the web, scranton.edu slash music scranton.edu slash music. Philip Keane has collaborated with Quincy Jones on an extensive composition arrangement for the Beethoven Orchestra of Bonn in celebration of Beethoven's 250th anniversary. Two of his arrangements were featured in a performance at the White House for a state dinner with President Biden in December of 2022, where he, Keane, performed with Jonathan Batiste, Keenan is a bassist, arranger, composer, educator. He has performed with Harry Connick Jr., Wynton Marsalis, Jonathan Batiste, Branford Marsalis, Randy Brecker, and the list goes on. His bass playing can be heard on the Disney Pixar film Soul Soundtrack, which won a Grammy. He also recorded on Jonathan Batiste's Grammy-nominated album Chronology of a Dream, live at the Village Vanguard and on and on. He has received his bachelor's and master's degrees from the Juilliard School. And his two new pieces will be featured tomorrow evening at 7.30 in the Houlihan McLean Center on the campus of the University of Scranton, Mulberry Street and Jefferson Avenue, and admission is free. For more information on the web, scranton.edu slash music, scranton.edu slash music. <laughs>